Hello and welcome back to Don't Depend on Daddy the Podcast. My name is Michaela and I am your host and I am so excited for today's episode. I sat down with Jian Yoon. She is a consultant and she is also a content creator. So we talked all about navigating consulting, breaking into the consulting industry, what a day in her life looks like as a consultant, her tips for excelling in a consulting career, as well as her entire journey and experience becoming a content creator, monetizing her content, and really building up her side hustle to earn some extra income. Before we get into the episode, as usual, we are gonna go through some housekeeping items. First being, if you enjoy this podcast, please go leave me a review, whether it be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, any review helps. You're feeling spicy, leave me a written review because the reviews really support the podcast and help push it out to more people. If you are somebody who is interested in getting your hands on the personal finance dashboard, you can do so using the code podcast one and you'll get $10 off. That is an exclusive code for podcast listeners only. And the most exciting housekeeping item of them all is a reminder to go pre-order my book, Own Your Money. Own Your Money is my brand new book where I teach you how to budget better, earn more, and reach your six-figure savings goals. I have put blood, sweat, and tears into this book. I say it every single week, but it would mean the world to me if you could pre-order the book. Pre-orders are so important for authors, especially new authors. So if you're planning to buy the book at all, Doing so during the pre-order is really, really, really helpful. The book covers so many different things from my own personal financial journey and different lessons and anecdotes to really illustrate how I navigated the first few years out of college and in my corporate career. I talk about how I started Break Your Budget, tips for budgeting better, tips to learn how to create your own financial plan, tips to start your side hustle and everything in between. So if you are interested in any of that, if you are interested in learning more about Own Your Money, make sure you check out the link in the show notes. You can order the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books, Books A Million, anywhere you buy books, this book is likely available. So please, please, please support me and go buy this book. It'll be published on June 20th, so you'll be getting it early in the summer, and I think that you are really going to love it. Own Your Money is really like my most satisfying and gratifying professional accomplishment. And my goal was really to make learning about personal finance a little bit more fun than your typical finance book. So I'm so excited for you to read it and I'm so excited for you to pre-order it. So don't forget to go do that. And like I said, all of the information is gonna be in the show notes. With that, let's get into the interview with G. Hello and welcome back to Don't Depend on Daddy, the podcast. My name is Michaela, I am your host, and we are joined today by Jian Yoon, who is a consultant. And we are gonna talk all about pursuing a career in consulting, content creation, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm super excited. Thank you so much, G, for joining the podcast today. Can you introduce yourself and share just a little bit about your career journey and what you have going on right now? Yeah, well, first and foremost, thank you, Michaela, for inviting me to this podcast. I've been following Break Your Budget for over a year now, so I'm totally fangirling right now. <laughs> um, but a little intro. My name is Jian Yoon. I am 23 years old. I am currently living in Chicago. Um, full time, I'm working as a consultant at a global business and technology consulting firm. And outside of my role as a consultant, I'm a content creator creating content about consulting. It's like consulting never leaves me. Um, but I am very excited to be here and very excited to talk more about our conversation. 
Totally. I have so many questions for you. I think consulting is obviously a super popular career path, especially right out of college, but it's one of those paths that's like, could be a little bit intimidating. The barrier to entry, I feel like isn't crazy high, but it is hard. It's hard interviewing. It's hard to find the right company to be working at. It can be a challenging lifestyle. So I feel like we have lots and lots to talk about. I remember I first found you um, because you shared a lot of just like career tips and how to advocate for yourself. And you make these beautiful videos and I feel like they provide so much value that a lot of people don't really talk about. So I'm super excited to get into all of that. So I think to kick off, can you give us a little bit of information about how you got into consulting, maybe like where you went to school, if there were resources provided there for you to break into the industry? Yeah, definitely a good place to start. So I studied business and economics at a very small Christian liberal arts college out in Illinois. Um, and, you know, in school, um, it, it was important for me that in my four formative years of education, my faith is important to me. So it's important to me that I was integrating my faith into my learning. Um, and so that's the choice around school and what I studied. Um during college, I had a few career mentors. Uh, these were people that I, mostly my alumni network who I was looking up to. Um, they were very smart people, very successful in what they were doing. And a common trend that I had noticed was that all of them had been a consultant at one point in their career. And so I thought that was a very interesting data point. <laughs> so that's what piqued my initial interest in consulting. And I kind of thought, huh, like, I wonder why all these people were consultants at one point. What is it about consulting that has uh, has that effect on people? And so that's that's why I, I chose consulting. This is sophomore year of college and really junior and senior year was just double clicking on that and doing all the networking, all the case prepping and such. Totally. So can you share a little bit about what consulting actually is? Because as someone, I spent a little bit of time working in investment consulting specifically, which I feel like is a very niche um, pillar of the consulting world. And there are so many different avenues you could take, whether it be like tech consulting, strategy consulting, advisory, tax consulting, depending on where you work. So can you explain a little bit like what consulting is um, and how you sort of landed in the area of consulting that you're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the golden question, right? What is consulting even? <laughs> um, the analogy that I share with people is that consultants are kind of the doctors for businesses. So if you think about, you know, when, when you're feeling sick, right, you are going to go to a doctor, the doctor is going to give you a checkup, they will most likely, if it's a good doctor, they'll be able to diagnose why you're sick, and then they'll be able to give you a prescription as to here's what you're going to take to cure your sickness. Kind of like that, when a business has a, a problem, uh, they will go to their doctors, which are the consultants, and a consultant will run a checkup, run an analysis, uh, try to figure out what is the root of this problem, um, what are we going to diagnose this problem as, is it strategy, is it HR, is it finance? 
finance, whatever it is. Um, and then they will give a prescription. So they will give a strategy, a next step, a roadmap as to how we can solve this problem. So that's essentially what consulting is. And as you could imagine, there are so many different types of doctors out there, right? Like I doctor, you got all these different surgeons, um, just like that. There are so many different types of consultants, consulting and different consulting firms that specialize in these different types of consulting. Um, and so that's where it gets fun, right? Uh, as a consultant, what you choose your expertise to be. Generally, when you first start off as a consultant, you start off as a generalist, so you're not tied to one industry or one specific capability. Um, that's kind of where I'm at right now in my career. I'm two years into consulting, so still very much a generalist. And then as you move up the ladder, you start to realize what industry excites you, what role you're, you're good at, and that's what kind of builds an, a, an expert in the field. Mm-hmm. So in the or at the firm that you currently work for, do you get a variety of different clients and projects or do you find that a lot of the work sort of falls into one area or one type of consulting? And how does that work? So do you get to choose or do you just get whatever comes across the desk? Right. I hate giving you this answer, but it depends. The answer is that it depends. Um, it depends on the firm that you're with, which is why it's so important what firm you choose. At my mm-hmm. current firm, I do. There, there is a variety of different industries I can choose from, and a variety of different roles and capabilities that I could choose to consult on. Um, again, this is specific to my experience at my current firm, but we we have as consultants we have this space to share what we are interested in and there are um, managers and there are people in roles who will try to help you get stepped onto a project that you're most interested in and whichever aligns the best with your uh, career goals long term Um, that's not the case for every firm there are other consulting firms where you're told where you're going to be, you're, you know, there's a staffing manager that steps you on a project and you don't really get a say, yes or no. Um, so again, going back to the answer, it depends. It depends on the firm that you're that you're with. Okay. Yeah. Lots of problem solving, I feel like. And I think, you know, in the world of, we'll say strategy and like digital or technology-based consulting, I feel like a lot of the projects are around digital transformation, which if you work in a corporate setting, you know what that is. It's just kind of enabling technology, changing processes, making things easier, digitizing everything to fit into the world we live in, which when you are looking at like the world or all of these different companies that operate so that we can function as a society, there are so many of those projects that exist that have to happen and that's really where consultants come into the picture to help push those along, provide information or new insight and stuff. So yeah. that to me sounds like a lot of what you are working on um, in your day to day. So obviously with all of that, consulting provides a lot of really great experience, especially early on in your career. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, after now being two years into the workforce, What are some of the things that you've really learned in the benefits of consulting that you feel like will help you progress and launch the rest of your career? Yeah, something that's very distinct to consulting, especially at an entry level role, um, is that, you know, when you choose a job coming out of college, you're choosing 
two things, you're choosing an industry and then you're choosing a role, right? And I think something, again, that's unique to consulting is that you're not choosing one industry and you're not choosing one role. You're trying different variations of industries and roles throughout your time as a consultant. And you're in these industries and roles for three to six months at a time, depending on how long your project is. So you kind of get to try a little bit of everything and you're trying this at a very senior level, uh, you know, at big various well-established companies um, day in and day out your project team is working with senior level directors at these you know big fortune 500 companies and so you get exposure to that level of leadership the way that they think the way that they make decisions and again you're having this across different industries and across different roles and I think the stat I read somewhere it was two years in consulting is equivalent to five years in any other entry-level role which just goes to show you're you know it's two times more information two times the pace and I think that's a very unique uh, experience that you can have at 22 23 years old and if you're thinking about you know doing something in the future starting your own company or being in c-suite one day it's a very good way to get a head start and what that might look like totally but with that I feel like too comes a heavy workload a hard work-life balance so piggybacking off of that obviously it's amazing experience I think to my time working in consulting I've said this before on other episodes but like I learned more in one year than I feel like I learned in the other three years of working in a different job just because of the pace, the breadth of experience, all the different things that you're doing. Like you're not just focused on one area of a business or of the business you're working on. You look at everything. Um, So you're learning so much, but generally, and this doesn't apply to, I feel like every consulting job, but many consulting jobs require long hours, lots of travel, Um, sort of operating on the whim of your client. So can you share, you know, how that experience has been for you, if you have experienced that, and then how you've balanced everything? Because, you know, and we'll talk about this in a little, obviously you do content creation, which takes a lot of time. So how do you navigate the work-life balance of working and consulting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I knew this work-life balance question was going to come up. Um, I think the average is, what is it, 65 to 80 hours a week for a consultant, which, I mean, a typical nine-to-five, that's 40 hours a week. At the low end of consulting, assuming you're hitting 65, that's already like 60, 62.5% more than everyone else. <laughs> it's huge. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of hours. I think... You know, when it comes to work-life balance, I've noticed that there's a huge difference depending on which firm you are with. I've noticed I have a lot of different friends across different companies, and I've noticed the same people at the same firms who don't have work-life balance and then the same people at the same firms who do have work-life balance. So I always encourage people, you know, ask yourself one, what is work-life balance to you? And then two, what kind of work-life balance do you want? Because I think those two things are different for each person. There are people who mind not having work-life balance right now that, you know, want to be two feet in and work all the hours that they can. Um, And then there are people who don't want to. So depending on what it is that you want, uh, there are different firms out there for you. For me personally, work-life balance was one of the more important things, especially, and we can talk more about this later, but with content creation, it was important for me that there was space outside of work for me to be creative um, and a little bit more entrepreneurial than the structure of 
corporate that we that most people are in. Um, and so, you know, when I was choosing between all the different firms, um, it was important to me that the firm that I was going to choose was going to have work-life balance. So uh, I, I find that work-life balance has been really great for me so far. Um, my firm does a very good job of prioritizing that. It's embedded into our culture. So I'm very, very thankful for that. Yeah, I feel like figuring out, and this is something I feel like I often encourage people to think about when they're at a point in their career where they're not sure if they're making the right pivot or they don't know what their next step is or what they want is to take a step back and think about what's the lifestyle you want to live? Like, what do you value right now? Because what you value in your career is going to change and ebb and flow. And like sometimes early on, maybe you're cool with working 80 hours a week. And then as you move through, you know, different phases of your 20s into your 30s and beyond, what you're looking for at work can obviously change dramatically. I feel like the first couple of years of my career, I was down to work 65, 80 hours a week. And once I turned 25, I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. I want to only work nine to five, but it's different for everyone. And that's something that really drew me to you as a creator is I feel like a lot of what you talk about is centered on advocating for yourself, turning inward and thinking about what you value. So could you share, I guess, some tips for the listeners about how to think about career decisions or navigate career decisions and what's worked for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a deep question. Um, (laughs) You know, for me, I think the biggest thing that I need to remind myself of when I'm making career decisions is um, staying in my own lane. I need to tell myself that every single day, just do what's in front of you. Like what someone next to you is doing does not matter. (laughs) And, um, you know, you think about, I share this analogy all the time, but you think about like track stars, right? Like Olympic runners. And when they're trying to win first place, they are not turning back to see where the second place runner is, like where they're at, right? Like you're just, you're going for first place. You're just looking straight on. And in that way, I think when it comes to career decisions, I think, with big important decisions, it's really easy to be influenced by comparison by what the person next to you is doing. And that naturally, because we're humans, uh, that influences us and sometimes makes us make flawed decisions. And so I think when it comes to career decisions, it's very important to stay in your own lane and really make that decision for yourself, not because of, you know, what you want to look like or what someone next to you is doing. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I love that advice. I think, you know, working through that period after college, I feel like two years after college, four years after college, and then kind of beyond that is where people kind of all really truly branch into their own directions. But those first few years are hard because you're on the same playing field as everyone around you until you leave college. And then everybody sort of accelerates, decelerates, turns right, turns left in all different Mm -hmm directions at different paces and it's easy to compare yourself to somebody who maybe didn't get as good as grades as you in college but they could be making 50k more than you at work and you're like what the heck um so yeah that whole concept of staying in your own lane because it's a really hard thing to do but I feel like it makes the biggest difference is just focusing on your life your decisions are you moving in the direction you Mm want to move in 
Another question I have for you is this was, I think probably the first video of yours that I ever saw was your systems for like managing your to-do list at work, managing your network, the feedback mm-hmm. you receive. This is something that I have been pushing um, on my channels now for years about like task tracking at work, what to do, how to create a system that just keeps you on top of everything. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about the systems that you have in place at work to stay organized and to move your career along? Hmm. There's a system. (laughs) Um, There's a system for everything, isn't there? Um, So I track three main things. I track the daily to-do list, right, which extends to like weekly and monthly, but really the important thing is there is, you know, when I wake up in the morning, what do I need to accomplish today? And then the second thing I track is some of the longer term, you know, what, what are things that are going to get me to the next promotion, um, to the longer career goals. And then the last thing that I track are people. Um, mm-hmm. And this goes down to detail of what's that person's daughter's name. So details like that and tracking people managing, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the three things that I track. I think the three are all so so important um, because one the the daily tasks are going to get you to your end goal um, but also you need to have an idea of what that end goal is going to be some of the longer term uh, goals and then lastly the business of businesses people people are going to be the most important part of your career um, and not even just to your career but life in general <laughs> people are so important so just making sure that I'm keeping tabs on people uh, making sure that I'm caring for them. Um, that's important to me. So those are the, those are the three things that I track. What are some of the benefits that you've noticed of keeping track of these things just in terms of like how you Mm -hmm. operate or has it helped you feel more organized or stay on top Mm -hmm. of things? Yeah. There's so much that goes on in one day, let alone Mm -hmm. one year in your in your job right and when you're constantly just responding to emails responding to fire drills and working 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 there is not this like documentation of everything that you've done the impact that you've made the value that you've added and there's going to come a day where you're going to need to prove that you have made an impact (laughs) and so to have that all organized and to be able to go back and pinpoint like hey I did this that resulted in this this is why I deserve this like you have to have that and if you're constantly just working 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 you're going to lose sight of that you're not going to remember it I promise you (laughs) so I, I think it's just it's just something that it's due diligence piece that we just need to be responsible over totally and I like I will die on that hill of if you don't have everything all compiled in one place where you can go back and refer to it and advocate for yourself like you are your own best advocate in your career you will forget all the things that you do I think back even in what I do now like There are a million things that I accomplish in one week, even working my prior jobs, like so much goes on, whether it be things that you were planning for, unplanned requests, a random team's message saying, hey, can you pull this for me? Hey, can you jump in this meeting? Like all of those things are worth writing down, but also add value to the business, add value to the team, add value to your career. And it's like identifying that bringing it all together, and then being able to articulate it. I think articulating your experience, articulating what you do comes from writing it down and being able to say like, okay, I did these five things. 
they all laddered up into moving this project along. This was the value add or the benefit to the business. And that's why I deserve X, Y, Z, raise, promotion, um, being staffed on this project, whatever that looks like in your career. I think, you know, seeing other people do that is huge because I always get so much pushback on like, I don't have time for this. Why would I micromanage myself? Like who your manager should be doing this for you. So can you share a little bit about how you like maintain that system? Are you in there all day long? How much time do you spend updating it? Because that's, I think the biggest reason why people don't is they see a spreadsheet on TikTok and they're like, too much work. I'm not going to do it. And then they just don't ever. It's funny because it takes me five minutes a week. (laughs) It's five minutes on a Friday afternoon. You're you're not working the full eight hours on a Friday anyways, let's be honest. Give yourself five minutes, go through your calendar, go through what you did, reflect. (laughs) It's good. (laughs) It's good for you to reflect like that. Um, It takes five minutes. That's my response. (laughs) Yeah, it it literally takes five minutes, five minutes a week, not even five minutes a day. Um, It's so hard. Like you can lead the horse to water. You can't force someone to you can't force it to drink is the metaphor I always use there. But it's like, once you start doing it, you realize how much value it's adding for a very small amount of work. Um, Okay. To wrap up this consulting section, do you have, let's say somebody's trying to break into consulting. Maybe they aren't really sure um, how, or they just got an interview. Do you have any tips for college grads um, people trying to pivot to get into the consulting industry? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, I always tell people breaking into consulting is, it's hard, but it's very straightforward. You have to land an interview and then you pass the interview. In this case, it's a case interview. On landing the interview, um, if you're coming out of a target school that looks a little bit more straightforward because you have these consulting firms on a war for talent. They'll be on your campus day one trying to recruit you. You just need to prepare well for the case interview. Um, For those who are not at these target schools, like my background or someone who's trying to pivot, um, the other backdoor option is a referral. That's probably your strongest option into trying to get to land an interview. These referrals, for me, uh, something that I did was I made sure that at every consulting firm that I was applying to, I was friends with one recruiter and friends with two consultants at the firm. And these were relationships that were developed over three to six months. So definitely a lot of preparedness is needed. Um, so that's my take on the, the landing the interview piece. I think preparing and passing the interview Uh, There are so many resources online, so many free resources, books, podcasts, YouTube videos. I would would fall asleep listening to YouTube videos of practice case interviews. (laughs) And uh, there are even resources that you can pay for. Uh, People go crazy over these case interviews. I think the biggest tip that I would give is that nothing beats a live case practice. I had a mentor tell me that doing one case live is equivalent to doing 10 cases alone in front of a mirror. And I stand by that. Nothing beats a live case. Get on a call with a consultant or with a friend, family member, whoever it is, and say it out loud. Um, Feel the pressure of having to answer something live time. You can't replicate that pressure on your own. You have to have someone else do that for you. So that would be my biggest tip uh, on interviews. Totally. I remember when I was doing all my job interviews, I would sit, 
I would actually pull up my computer and record myself on the photo booth of answering questions so that I could listen back to it and see how many times they said, um, how confident I sounded if I stumbled over my words and I would do it over and over and over again until I could like recite answers to basic behavioral questions to a point where like, if there was a little bit of a different question or, you know, I had to pull something out of, you know, the back of my hat, I would be able to navigate it without tripping up. One thing you said that I want to dive deeper on quickly is the having friends that at the companies that you would apply for and really spending the time over three to six months, like building those relationships. Were those people that you knew from college or were they people that you were able to connect with, whether it be through internships or just on LinkedIn? Like, how did you build those relationships? What are some examples mm-hmm. that you did? Yeah, a lot of them were from my alumni network. Your alumni network is, mm-hmm. is so powerful. Um, and then, you know, some of them were cold reach outs on LinkedIn. I would look up the company. I would look up the city that I wanted to work in. I would choose someone at an associate or a consultant level because anyone above that is probably too busy to answer your LinkedIn message. So Target, just like that consultant level is like a sweet spot. Um, I I reached out to, oh gosh, over a hundred <laughs> of people on LinkedIn. Um, the more you reach out, the higher chance you'll have of, of making that one connection. And then once you do, you just, you just lock that in. You offer to buy them coffee. You keep reaching out. They say, if they don't reply, you reach out again. Um, it's the art of networking, I would say, but, uh, yeah, most of my connections came in that way. Okay. Yeah. So I would say like, if you're someone listening to this and you don't have a strong alumni network, or you don't know anyone who's working in consulting, sending people messages on LinkedIn is definitely fair game. Um, That's something that I always felt intimidated by, but I find like anytime somebody sends me a LinkedIn message, so long as I see it, I never feel like not compelled to reply. Like my initial reaction is always to help or to point someone in the right direction. And I think generally assuming that that's the way you're going to get a response is probably the best way to operate because I think most of the time people are willing to help and they want to help. And sometimes you just have to ask. So I like that tip a lot. I feel like that's accessible to everyone. Most people working a corporate job or with the intent to work a corporate job have a LinkedIn that they can use. So, um, okay. I want to pivot into content creation side hustles. Mm -hmm. So you have uh, quite the following on TikTok at this point. I feel like I've been following you now for over a year and your content is beautiful. So can you first, we'll start by, can you share how you got into TikTok? What was the first video you posted? Like what compelled you to get started with this? Yeah. Thanks so much for that compliment. Um, So when I was first interested in consulting, the way I would get to know more about consulting was through YouTube videos of content creators Mm -hmm. who were creating videos about day in life of a consultant. And this was like two, three, maybe four years ago before the the creator boom. So there were about two or three consultants who were doing this on YouTube and I would watch their videos to get a holistic understanding of, you know, what is consulting, but also what do their lifestyles look like. Um, And again, like, 
there were less than five of these creators. So I would watch all their videos. I would want to watch more, but there would be no more other creators to watch. Um, and then these videos, they were, they were good videos, like very informative, but you know, a lot of times they were like running through the airport. It was very shaky content. And I just always had a thought in my mind, Hey, if one day I do become a consultant, I would love to create more videos like this. So there are more creators for, you know, people who are pursuing consulting to watch. Um, and then two, I would like to make them a little bit more aesthetic was my goal. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like the thought that I had all throughout college. And then when I did become a consultant, I think it was about a month or two months into consulting, I decided, okay, I think it's time to, to try this out. <laughs> uh, so I picked up my camera, I think my, my phone, I film everything through my phone. Um, and I think I remember my first video being just like a post work series of what I was doing after work. They wanted to show like what the lifestyle piece of a consultant looks like. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I got started. <laughs> and how have you seen like your content, I guess, evolve? Because I feel like I recently watched a video of yours where you were explaining how you've monetized your channels. And I think that's a big question for people is like, okay, I'm posting on TikTok, you know, maybe I have like 30, 40,000 followers on there. I'm reaching the point where I'm ready to monetize. Mm -hmm. um, how did you navigate, I guess, beginning to monetize your channels or make the decision that you were going to start taking sponsors? And then how has that evolved? Mm -hmm. So when I first started TikTok, my friends would ask me, you know, so what's the goal? Like, what are you trying yeah. to do here? I would joke as a joke. I'll be like, oh, I want TikTok to one day pay my rent. And yeah. it's crazy that that was a joke a year ago because now it actually does. And mm -hmm. how this whole thing started was, you know, when you reach a certain following and you have the email accessible uh, on your bio or your link, whatever it is, um, brands will start reaching out to you. And it probably starts off with like free product exchanges to like $50 collabs. Um, and the more following you get, these opportunities grow, the, the dollar amount grows, um, it all grows all together. Um, and at a certain point, I think it was about 50K when I had gone over 50K, that's the first time I thought, okay, what if I you know, think about monetizing this. Um, and I never, I'll never forget the first brand partnership I had. It was like $50 for the skincare product. I was so excited. I was like, $50. That's like five Chipotle bowls I could have. Um, and I said yes immediately. And we did the video. And the second reach out I got, it was like $100 for something. And I wasn't too interested in collaborating with this brand that was offering me $100. So I wasn't interested. So I was like, you know, I'll, I'll do it if you will pay $500. And they said, yes. And then that's kind of where like my brain started turning. Like they just said yes to $500 when they originally offered 100, they, you know, that $400 gap, I wonder how much art there could be here when it comes to negotiation and opportunities. And so that's really when my brain started turning. And then after that, I was just every brand deal that came in, I would negotiate it. Um, it went from 50 to, I mean, some of the bigger deals I've done have reached over 10 digits, sorry, not 10 digits, five digits, over 10,000. Uh, I wish it was 10 digits. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's how the monetization uh, started. Yeah, it is crazy how, because this happens to me often too, where like a brand will come through your inbox and be like, we'll offer you like $300 for this. And the second you're like, uh-uh, this like way below my rate, I'm looking for this. And they're like, okay. 
we can accommodate that. Like I can, I try to think about how many like newer creators probably get totally taken advantage of for just not knowing. Um, but I feel like navigating the monetization piece, especially early on is really, really challenging. Um, so I like to hear that you started negotiating right away because negotiating is a hard thing to do. It can also feel like a little bit awkward, um, especially over email. So I've been there. Like I totally, totally get it. So now thinking about like the kinds of brand deals you're doing and, you know, the amount of money that they are, what is your, or do you have one, like a strategy in place for thinking about brand deals that you'll accept? Like, are you looking at longer term deals or more one-off deals? Are they segmented only to TikTok? Cause I know you also have a bit of an Instagram following too. Like what are, what's your strategy there with continuing to make money? Mm-hmm. I think I reached a point where there's, there's consistent money that's coming in every month at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have to think too, too much about how much am I going to make next month? How many brand deals am I going to have next month? I think now it's kind of changed to, okay, what does this partnership say about my brand as a whole? So I'm more so thinking about my personal brand than the dollar amount or the, the partner that I'm working with. Um, and I think, you know, when I think about a brand partnership, it's very important to me that I'm not... I'm not just saying yes to everything, but that each yes that I say is also a yes that all my followers will benefit from. Um, so that's yeah. that's the number one strategy and priority right now. I've noticed that with monetization, your strategy and priorities change over time. Um, but at least right now, that's that's where I'm at. It's trying to build that profile of long-term brand partnerships, um, trying to build a pattern of the kinds of brands that I'm working with that my followers can trust the brands that I am partnering with. Yeah. I think that's huge. And it's a hard thing to do. Um, sometimes when a brand who maybe isn't super aligned will come to you with a lot of money and it's like, okay, do I take this or do I pass on it? Um, it can be a really challenging thing to navigate. Um, what tips do you have for someone who? is just getting started with content creation. Like how did you learn how to edit your videos? How do you edit your videos? Like what software do you use? Um, do you have a calendar that you follow for content or do you just post when you feel like it's appropriate or fits into your lifestyle? Mm-hmm. So right now with it being a side hustle, um, I don't have anything strict in place. Um, I do you know, I pick up the camera and I decide to post whenever I want to. And I'm enjoying that for now. Maybe there'll come a day where there's a more strict schedule um, and that'll be needed. But at least for now, I'm enjoying the freedom that I have. And honestly, I'm most creative when I'm able to be creative whenever I want with no rules. So I'm enjoying that for now. Um, to answer your question around like editing tips and tips in general for people who are starting out, editing, I think practice makes perfect. That's my answer for that question. 
I wish I could show my very first video. It was not good. Um, people see my videos now and they're like, oh, I love your editing style. Like, how did you do that? And I'm like, you should watch my very first video. It was not that at all. Practice Everybody's makes first video is so mm-hmm. bad. Like, yeah. if you were to go look at my video, even from this time last year, like, they're bad still. So <laughs> I feel like you learn by doing when it comes to editing yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So definitely a lot of practice. I think for someone who's just starting out, I would say just keep going. I think the biggest thing is, you know, if you think about it logically, let's say you're trying to go from zero followers to 10,000 followers, right? Like to get to 10,000, you have to have at one point been at 100 followers and 500 followers. Like you cannot skip the 100 and 500 if you want to get to 10,000. And I think a lot of times they, you know, people stop at the 100 and they say, oh, it's only 100. It's so far to 10,000. Like I'm never going to get there when really, no, you're on track. Like just keep going. Um, you have to, you have to be at a hundred at one point to get to 10,000. So that's the advice that I give to people is just, just keep going as long as you're having fun. Um, I think that's enough to keep creating content. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like to see any sort of progress, you've got to keep going when it feels like nobody's watching or nobody's listening or nobody's hearing what you say, because eventually you do it enough. People will start to hear, they'll start to listen, they'll start to pay attention. And that's where you get the momentum. But so many people stop right before they reach that point because they haven't seen the amount of progress they wanted to and that amount of time that they've decided is enough. Um, Mm -hmm. It's one of those things I feel like I've seen it over and over and over again. But that's how TikTok is, is they make, it it makes you think that it's easy Mm -hmm. or that there's like overnight success. And I feel like that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, my last question here to wrap things up, and I, I've been asking everybody this who does a side hustle, like content creation in a nine to five. So you probably know what's coming, but do you have any idea if this is ever something that you would pursue full time? If yes or no, explain the reasons. Mm-hmm. I get asked that question almost every day. <laughs> it's like, do you ever plan on being a full-time influencer? Is the word I hear. And my answer to that is, right now, no. I don't see it being a full-time. I don't have any goals to be a full-time influencer. But yes, I do have a goal of having a personal brand and continuing to grow a personal brand. And I think those two things are slightly different things. Um, for me, the most important part of this is, you know, a lot of the content that is existing out there are from people who have already reached, you know, a very successful life and career. And they're turning back to say, here's how I did it, like the how to the X, Y, Z. And I think for me, um, the story that I want to create is not so much so like, hey, I already reached success. Here's how you can do it. But it's more so like here, this is what I want to get to. If you're also someone who wants to get there, let's do it together. Let's be internet friends and let's have a community and let's fail together. Let's celebrate together. Let's try different things together. And just having a digital diary of that is my goal. Um, So, you know, can that maybe one day in the future turn into a full-time thing? I have no idea. But right now, my goal is to just keep documenting, uh, to keep sharing, um, to keep growing this online community that I've built, um, and really just inspire others to do the same. I think our generation is so unique that we have the social media and the technology to share live time versus the generation before us that did not have that. So 
I think that's that's the most exciting part. Totally. I like that answer. It's very balanced. And the vibe that you give me overall is just like very balanced and like steady. <laughs> I feel like my energy is like so chaotic sometimes that I I look at you and I'm like, okay, I need to channel some of this just steadfast, like calm energy. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was an awesome episode. Can you let everybody know where they can find you on social media? Yes. My main platform is TikTok at Jian Yoon. And then Instagram is also at Jian Yoon. Um, I love getting DMs, messages. I, I try to respond to all of them um, as fast as I could. So would love to connect with anyone listening to this. Okay. Yay. I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes. So if you want to go check out G's pages, you can find it all linked below. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for coming on and I'll catch you in the next one.